right. Welcome to the obsession. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the obsession digression. A podcast that explores all of the cultural things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. Sam, did you take a drink right before you said your name just now? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you did. And I was going to be like, that is super badass if you're just like mid-intro. I'm Sam Benarchik. <sighs> <laughs> you're just like Refreshing. so fucking refreshed right now. That's that's what you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Katie, you know we had to delay recording by a half hour. And that's because... I walked into my room and turned on the lights and saw a cockroach. Ugh, was it first like a first one of no? Was it a first baby one? one? Place. Was it a baby I one mean, or was it like it a monster? Happened so fast. No, dude. Mm-hmm. It was like a week before I moved out of my old apartment. Had never seen a cockroach. We battled like mice for like a week. That's another story. I remember story. that. I yeah. know. Did not sleep <laughs> until those traps came in. <laughs> Like anytime I heard a noise, I even if I was like in an ostensible like deep sleep, I would just like jump out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> but never, never a bug anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I was, it was maybe three days before I was going to move out. I went into the bathroom and take a shower. It's so, it's tiniest bathroom. Close the door. I go to pull open the shower curtain to turn on the shower. And it, gi- like, I've never seen one this big in my life. Oh, it, I, I literally had to battle this. Like, I was standing there spraying it with bug spray. And it was just like, what? Mm-hmm. It was creepy because it ran behind, like, the cupboard. And then I could hear its little... And I didn't oh. know where I was. And, oh, it, it was, was traumatizing. like, it was mocking you. That's I know. not okay. But well, I got dude, the last I... laugh. I killed it with a Swiffer. That's wanted right. to maintain that distance. Didn't want to come close. <laughs> so did like you have a Swiffer? You're just like slamming it up against <laughs> no, the. Yeah, and it's such a small <laughs> bathroom that it's like there are very few places where a Swiffer can fully land without hitting like the bottom of the toilet bowl or the side of the sink. You know what I mean? So right. I was just like haphazardly like hurling it in the direction of this bug. Uh, well, dude, I am scarred because. I, I mean, I loved going to zoos and to, like, the, the natural science or natural nature museum shit everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And every fucking one of them, every zoo, every museum about nature you go to has the, like, cockroach display. I don't know what it is about, like, I, like teaching children about how like oh you think there's one cockroach like actually and then it has just you know what i'm talking about it's stuffed with cockroaches or just nasty bugs just like constantly proliferating and you're separated from it by like just this thin sheen of glass or whatever it's not disgusting it's not okay i'd rather like be really close to a snake than a like horde of cockroaches definitely did I tell yeah. you that I was walking down the street? This is two blocks from my apartment. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, like on a weekend afternoon, so it was crowded. And I'm trying to like get past these people who are standing in a semicircle. They're standing in a semicircle because they're circling around this guy who has a giant python hanging around <laughs> his neck. It is hanging around like his neck performer? and it reaches what? the ground on both sides. When I t- I don't know how to describe how thick this is except that like I couldn't I couldn't have fit my hands around like both of the, them the snake yeah yeah it was Ugh. terrifying because it was just like I wasn't expecting it and then all this, I was sort of trying to like push through and then all of a sudden I was right in front of it what That's like this insane. isn't the boardwalk or like you know this a touristy isn't the spot <laughs> like what the fuck 
fuck? I know. I really thought like there's no way this person is allowed to have one. And then I was hanging out with a friend of mine that night. And we were on our way somewhere and we walked past the same guy again. And I was like, what? this is what I was talking about. <laughs> and Snake <laughs> right man. as we walked past him, a couple like not cops, but like MTA, people wearing like MTA jackets came up mm-hmm. to him. And I was like, oh, good. They're going to tell him that he's got a he can't do this. Right. So I was like relieved. And then I was standing and watching. And then I turn, <laughs> look, I looked down to look at my phone and answer someone's text. I look back up. He's hanging it around their necks and they're like yes! laughing and taking pictures. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. What is going on here? Yes. I love that. I love the authority figures who are just mm-hmm. like channeling this. They're furthering it. They're, they're, they're colluding with this. No, exactly. Man. Collusion. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've got snakes. Now I've got a, a roach on my hands. I didn't yeah. kill it. I couldn't. I went to get bug spray. Could not find it when I got back. So it. I mean, you'll see it later, or you'll see its you know, know. third cousin or whatever. Stop. Because no, there's it's... only one. There's only one. Yeah, so sure, I, Sam. I, sure. You know, I was thinking like you. I if I see it, I might like freak out in the middle of the podcast, and then this will be oh. like, committed to audio. No, um, no, no. You've got to kill. Like, if you find it while recording, you go for it, man. Oh, I give I, you full permission. No, no, I'm telling you. That is exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but then I was like, listen, like, you are still new in this apartment. Like, these roommates are not ready to hear the, the sounds pitch? you make. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much too soon. <laughs> so. It's like the, the, the scream in Tron. Like, yeah. Is that what you would reproduce? <laughs> yep. That's pretty much spot on. <laughs> Well, I'm about sorry about your bug issue. Ugh. Wait, what time? Another wild animal story. So when I lived in a professor's house, me and Which one is other... Which that like sounds like you're having an affair with a professor. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> he was away for the year. I was living there with one other grad student, and we were like taking care of the house, but also attending to his two cats who were still there. The mm-hmm. cats, once they warmed up to us, started bringing us gifts in the form first of dead animals, but then in the form of live animals they would bring into Lovely. the house. Lovely. They just drop on the ground for us to kill off, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so they brought one time a Finish live him. <laughs> yeah. chipmunk into the house. Oh. The cat just opened its mouth. The chipmunk just ran into a corner. And I was like, what? <laughs> So then we're trying to hunt down this chipmunk. We're looking everywhere. We like open the doors of the home, hoping that we can like make a lot of noise and scare it out. We search the whole house. We can't find it. So we think like, okay, it's Mm -hmm. gone. (sighs) (laughs) I'm like getting tense just thinking about this. I get ready for bed. I get into bed. (sighs) I lay back and put my head on the pillow out of the pillow, the chipmunk ah! jumps out. I scream so loud. And so then, I don't even know how much of the story to tell. So then my roommate runs into my room and I was like, the chipmunk was in the pillow and now it's in my sheets. And so she goes, we just need to hit it with something heavy and stun it. And then oh it'll be knocked God. out and we can get it out of here. So That is not a like, good idea. I know. Like, that's to a like, terrible idea. <laughs> Maybe 60 seconds later, we are both very late at night, like standing. She's just taking an ambient. So we're standing over my bed. We each have a skillet and a hand. And we're trying to gauge where under the sheets this is. Oh, my god! And then we like count down and then just started hitting the bed with skillets. 
does nothing. We yeah, finally just like scare the chipmunk out of the room, and then with the momentum, we just start like scaring it and like cornering it and forcing it out of the house. <laughs> but this is all to say that you mentioned my scream. Uh, she said she's like your scream. It was definitely a masculine scream. Like you have a low pitched scream, but it wasn't very masculine that you did scream. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, all right. I mean, fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> then I was like, it's 2000, whatever year it was then. I was like, stop, you know, trying to put yeah. me in a box. Yeah. You can have as girly a scream as you want, Sam. That's right. You do it. You do you. Mm-hmm. You do you. Yeah. And you scream it out if you need to. Do you also I mean, like do the same scream during sex? Is that, is <laughs> <yep>. it? There's <laughs> is one it scream really? for all occasions. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so, enough about me. How yeah, are you I'm good. Well, okay, I am exhausted because I'm an old person now. As you well know, I'm so crotchety. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling this weekend and it kicked my ass, dude. It was just like physically demanding because I, well, so first I drove with Ryan and the dogs to Williamsburg, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, Colonial Williamsburg, yo. Uh, and I was hanging out there for one day. And then I took a train from Williamsburg to Boston, which is a 12-hour train ride. Um, (laughs) And motherfuckers, I, Mm -hmm. like, got into the dining car, told the conductor, I was like, I don't even want a regular regular seat. I'm just going to stay in the dining car the whole time. Dude, I try to do this every time I take that train. And And they they don't let you? They don't let you, but then... And some, sometimes when I take the train, they'll be like, actually, you're not allowed now in the cafe cart at all because these count as seats and we're at max capacity. And then I'm like, oh, who got that seat? Like, I've yeah. been asking for this. No, they always let me, but I'm like That's really nice. cute and sweet. So like there's, you know, <sighs> there's, there's, there's the privileges. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. So I, I got my like dining car seat, but like, and I had all my work spread out on my half of the, the car, like the table. Mm-hmm. And of course, like every other stop, somebody would sit with me. And instead of like the clear signals that I was working, they were like, oh, what are you reading? Like, that's oh, always no. the first question. And that is not okay. Um, yeah, and like dudes like hit on me in gross ways, and like wait, what was the know. grossest? If it's appropriate, well, uh, the gro- yeah. <laughs> no, no the if grossest... it's not appropriate, we should call him out. So yeah, no, we should. It wasn't like super gross, except that he kept. So he was a consultant. That's that was his work title. Like so, I don't know. Like that means nothing to me. And he's like, oh, I'm a consultant. Um, and you know, like kept asking me, like he was asking me where I was staying in Boston and like what I was up to and if I had any free time, he gave me his business card with his personal number on it, which was gross. Oh no. He also had, um, like five mini bottles of liquor in his, cause he was wearing (laughs) a suit. So he had them in like his inner coat pocket thing. And so like every 15 minutes He'd whip another one out and pour it into, like, his ginger ale or whatever. And so he's, like, heavily Whoa. drinking at, like, 7 p.m. Uh, on a train, you know? And it was just, like, I don't know. It was just an oogie vibe. It was weird. And um, you're wearing a wedding ring, no? I'm totally wearing a wedding ring, yes. And I'm also wearing um, rainbow sweatpants and a hoodie. <laughs> More importantly. <laughs> and a hoodie with the hood on 
Like, if nothing else fucking says leave me alone, I believe that a hoodie with the hood up mm-hmm. is, like, the, the universal sign. Yeah, it doesn't get clearer than that. Yeah! Ugh. Anyways, um, my mistake, though, was I didn't have headphones with me because I was just reading. I just uh. wanted to read. And I should have, like, put some dummy ones in just to, like, pretend like yeah, I was listening right. to something. Um, but anyways, my favorite train moment, though. So on the way up there, pure shit to Boston. Uh, then I was at our friend, our friend's wedding, which was lovely, but it was also outside and it was kind of cold. And <laughs> um, the so... The way back, my favorite was I got into, like, a five-hour conversation. I'm not kidding you, Sam. Five hours talking to this old man. Um, About who, what? Well, so it was so strange because he was like, he's like, oh, I collect rare books. And so I was, like, you know, really into that part of the conversation. Um, but we also talked about, like, shooting animals which i didn't initiate but he was like yeah i shoot turkeys all the time i don't know oh. it was strange yeah <laughs> like for thanksgiving my, uh just randomly dude like just he wanted to share with me how much he enjoys just like shooting wildlife that that gets up on his farm in rhode island <laughs> um <laughs> But my favorite part of this was this fucker um, in the middle of our conversation. I guess he got hungry. He just like whips out a peeled beet, but it is a giant ass beet. And he just like eats that motherfucker like an apple. Like he just like chomps into it. Yeah, he's got like some crazy hardcore dentures or something or just naturally strong Yeah, that's actually really impressive now that you mention it. Yeah, and he's just he's just eating this beat like he he gives zero fucks. He's you know he's telling me about I don't know like visiting Mexico on his last trip with his grandchildren, and he's uh, eating a beat. So (laughs) old old beat man. Also, at one point I fell asleep, and when I woke up he was gone. I guess his stop had come, and. I knew he had an apple because he had put all of his snacks on our table. Mm -hmm. And so there was an apple. um, And so when I woke up, it was like literally an inch from my ear because my head was on the table. Oh. Um, And so he just like left me this this apple. Um, And yeah, I totally ate that apple too because it was delicious. Found food. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, when I first moved up here, I was so poor because you know like we made no money in grad school (laughs) no and you know you're not getting your paycheck for like a few weeks and i was just like god i gotta like live as cheaply as possible so Mm -hmm. i like ordered or bought all the food that i thought i needed for like the week and i did this for a couple weeks and i'd always underestimate and then cook it all up and be like well i can't eat anymore i want a food tomorrow and so i just be like hungry all the time and i cannot tell you how frequently people leave food on the subway (laughs) and there were a couple nights where i was just like god it looks like it's still in the plastic wrap like (laughs) i just need to find some way to make this okay in my mind (laughs) yeah but there there is no way (laughs) there's no way yeah it's too dirty a city and too weird a city you know that it's like even if it's still in like wrapper like you just don't know i mean if if snow white has taught us anything it's that like you should not just eat random food that strangers (laughs) offer you no exactly (laughs) but i totally do like i i don't know like ryan has yelled at me because like i accept like cough cough drops yeah, from strangers took, like, and pills <laughs> yeah 
So I just, I believe in human goodness. I can't help it. I'm definitely going to get murdered quite soon, but I, I believe in the like core goodness of people. So mm. yeah, I totally ate that apple. I give, I give zero fucks. <laughs> well, good for you. Oh, and another shitty thing, if I can like be crotchety oh, even more. Um, so I was staying at this bed and breakfast in the outs- on the outskirts of Boston because I could not afford even like Airbnbs, dude. I couldn't afford one close to oh yeah, it's expensive. the wedding venue or anything like that. Yeah. So I was staying at this bed and breakfast that was really cute. It was called the French Welcome, uh, which turns out <laughs> that definitely sounds like a sex position. <laughs> <laughs> the French Welcome um, turns out is actually normally run so it's run by people from france and it's for typically um people from out of the country visiting america who don't quite understand american customs or so that like, like housing standards is that yeah, what's between well, the lines here or? well there was that there was also like they explained like strange rules to me where they were like okay in the mornings um we make coffee but we make it in a coffee pot which you might not be used to. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I fucking know what a coffee pot was. And they were like... You're like, I demand it everywhere I stay. <laughs> I'm familiar. In America, uh, staying at a hotel, there are taxes. And I was like, yes, I know of this as well. <laughs> but um, one night, Saturday night, actually, I... Um, so, and there were no there were no keys to anything. So my room didn't Wait, have what? a lock. What yeah. does that mean? So it means Wait. that like... Do you, can you repeat? Was this a bed and breakfast, or was it? Like yeah, a, yeah, it was a bed and weird. breakfast. So like yeah, anyone so could just walk into your room. Technically, yes. Yeah. Um, so one night though, Saturday, I like didn't have a key to the house, and the people had left, and it was literally <laughs> thirty degrees outside, and I had no fucking way. Like my Lyft driver Wait, so had already dropped there? me off. Well, they had like left just to like go out to eat or something like I came back pretty early but it's 30 degrees outside I have two bags full of like heavy books and stuff um (laughs) because of course I'm like such a nerd I can't like go anywhere without all of my shit yeah right um and there's like nothing nearby there's like not a coffee shop there is not anything and so I had to walk a mile in the freezing weather to a subway, like to the restaurant oh. subway. <laughs> so no bathroom. No bathroom. And wait an hour at subway. There was also uh, no one else in the subway except for me and the employees. Uh, and they, um, this, I mean, listen, I will not turn down a subway sandwich. And I go there frequently but, because it is just like always the cheapest meal around. But... But... Like like eating in Subway for an, a and like, sad day, yeah. A Saturday night alone eating in a Subway and then having to stay in the Subway because of the cold. <laughs> you have to sit like, in what you've done. Like you can't just yes. like hastily eat and get out and like clean the Subway <laughs> off of you. Also, like the lighting in there, it's like the most awful singular. Yeah, singularly terrible lighting where you're just like, yeah. I don't. This is the lighting that like the. Uh, it's so unnatural. Like it is not signal daytime, nighttime, dusk. Like no, this is it's, just its own it's weird, the future. sad shade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's like uh, um, 
I don't know, future lighting or something awful. But yeah, so anyways, like just to end my complaint um, or my stupid story, finally at like 8.30, I get this text and it just says, hi. And I was like, hello. And they were like, do you need in the house? And I was like, (laughs) fucking yes, I do. And they were like, okay. I need in the house. (laughs) (laughs) And then they gave me like these really, really complicated instructions for getting in the house. So overall. They're like, take um, a rock, break a window around the back. Well, they just like over explained things. So they were like, first go to the front of the house. Then (laughs) take a left, go to the back of the house. Go to the second kitchen door because there are two. Okay. Uh, type in this code. Type in this code to relock the door. It was bullshit, dude. Um, <laughs> but that's all to say. I had a lovely weekend, especially seeing like our friend get married. It was just, it was beautiful. It was moving. Um, but like the getting there and back and that whole biz was just, I can't do it anymore, Sam. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm you know, 30 can... now. <laughs> I'm too old. I know. We deserve to be able to have some standards. I've yes. been thinking about that a lot in my life lately. It's like, I want I've some nice that... things and I'm not going to apologize for it. So I've decided that I will never again, after this trip, I will never again stay in a place where I don't have a key and control of the temperature. <laughs> That's a really, those, those are, are my two, two fair goals to have, though. Basic things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I stole that from this guy who used to do, like, bar trivia. He would always, like, he'd be like, are all the answers in? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I just, like, I was like, yes. That's, like, a beautiful way of phrasing things. I'm going to do that. I do that in my teaching. So, like, I'm like, is everybody done with their essay? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my students hate me. It's all good. I know it really like I do. I, there were like some week where I just treated my class as my own stand up. We're like, <laughs> no one laughed. Didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Kept going. <laughs> my my favorite um, like Sam teaching moment is when you uh, texted me like, should I buy this sweater? And I was like, mm, it's okay. What are you up to right now? And you're like, my student's giving a presentation. <laughs> like student presentations. <laughs> okay. My favorite teaching moment of yours, though, is when... Actually, you should take over as soon as you know what story I'm talking about. Like, I think You had I do. seen all of your students, like, for conferences or something, and you were going to teach them, though, the next day? Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to take over? I, like conferenced with all of my students the day before and I was exhausted and I had given them a ton of attention and I love my students um, and they're fabulous but the next day I teach at 8 a.m. and the next day was um, just like them kind of giving presentations and it was very informal it was not like a like a huge like high impact class day right Mm -hmm. Um, and I had stayed out very late with some good friends of ours um, one of whom was the person who got married this weekend and um, stayed out very late. And in fact, like 5 a.m. rolled around. And I was like, you know, there's like no point in going to sleep at this point because I've got to <laughs> teach in three hours. So we go to um, like the ye old waffle shop. And yeah. I just I just get an entire box of hash browns. <laughs> and I go to my class and I'm like, all right. You know, my voice is kind of. Uh, a little off at this point and I'm like alright 
you get started. And I just sit in the corner and I watch the presentations, but I also am just like eating hash browns. <laughs> in like entire... yesterday's clothes that they all saw you in? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was it was rough going. Um, uh, this so was funny. though, I will say my my first year of teaching, which is not like I don't think this like no, um, we're all getting our sea legs, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm twenty like three at this time. You know what I mean? Like thirty year old Katie. I mean, first of all, thirty year old Katie is more likely to go to bed at like five PM. So mm-hmm. Same <laughs> but, with thirty year old Sam. But like, nine yeah. o'clock rolls around, I'm like, mm, I better be turning in. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that just seems so Man. impossibly long ago, right? Like I know. I, we're, yeah yeah i know now we're like i don't know older, having real jobs and marginally wiser yeah no i've gotten dumber i know <laughs> i have but that's okay that's okay i don't care i think that this movie that we're talking about today made me dumber sam no can i Katie, yeah i haven't heard your take on this yet but you know i saw it i could not wait to text you this movie to me is amazing. It's maybe my favorite what? thing we've done on the podcast so far. Okay, I'm all right. obsessed with this movie. So let's let's take a step back here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I have to burp. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a real one. That's Did you one. hear it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's take a step back here. We are talking about Wes Craven's. The People Under the Stairs. From the year 1991. So Sam and I, we are both four years old at the time of this movie's genesis. And And we realized that we were both in the same theater. (laughs) The same. (laughs) Um, So, okay. My reaction to this film is confusion. And the confusion is over what this movie is trying to do uh like is it i know i just said is it in a very weird way is it is it a farce like is this a comedy slapstick play on the genre or am i just so like removed historically from that moment if of 1991 that what would have seemed badass at the time and really poignant now just strikes me as silly, you know? And so, like, I can't quite access the film's, like, original ethos. That's my issue. That's my mm. that's my whole bag. Hmm. So, but you are obsessed with it, so tell us why. Well, or, I like, start to tell us why. I can answer your questions, but I think the best thing I can do, I think if we start talking about it, I can start to okay. sort of talk about why I love it. Okay. All right. So we we're gonna get into this, Sam, because like yeah, let's as you know, yeah, we we differ widely on movies. Um, this is true. And yeah, this yeah, should were, be were interesting. Were there just like not enough uh, John Deere tractors in this one for you? Apparent. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, but there was Everett McGill, yo. I know. In not Straight just Story. Everett McGill, though. Oh, I know. Wendy was her last name Roby or Robbie? Yeah. Robbie? Oh, I don't Robbie. know how you say it. Yeah, it's R O B I E. Anyways, Nadine and Big Ed from Twin Peaks, which is and actually, wild. yeah, and he well, hired Wes Craven them because saw, he saw them. Yeah, yeah, he saw Twin Peaks and he was like, "Yes, that is that is the dynamic I want, or like a twisted version of that dynamic for this film." <laughs> um, 
so yeah, why don't you take us take us uh, take us away? That doesn't sound right. Um, sure. So take us into it. First, this be our is... be our captain, Captain Sam, <laughs> Pilot um, Sam, Pilot Sam. <laughs> I don't know. What like what like I called someone an I referred to them as an airplane driver. A few podcasts ago, <laughs> I was like, no, there's yep. a word for that. <laughs> um, First, I just have to say, it's so funny. So this is the first movie he's done that's been um, distributed by Universal. And it is so funny. Like, because New Line Cinema has this sort of slick, sober opening. And his early independent films had them too. And this Mm -hmm. one is just like boppy, like happy, inspirational, like Universal theme music before we jump into this weird movie. Oh, I know. Yeah, because like you're you're familiar for like of that like do 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 do, yeah. You know, like I don't know, um, like for like nineties <laughs> kid movies. You know, yeah, what I mean? exactly. Like, I was like, is Jurassic very... Park starting? <laughs> Can't be stopped. And then yeah, you get to a very mystical tarot card reading scene, also, which opens the film. Have you ever seen Cleo from nine to five? No. Nope, not from 9 to 5. Cleo from no. 5 to 8. What? <laughs> it's a Wait, French is that... film. No, yeah, have so not seen it. It's this famous like French New Wave film by Agnes Varda. It's really good. I recommend it. Um, mm-hmm. But it opens with this very famous um, tarot card reading scene. And I couldn't help but wonder if there was a little bit of homage here. Because mm. we didn't talk about this during our first episode of the season. But um, Last House on the Left is a remake of... Um, an Ingmar Bergman film called The Virgin Spring, so or Virgin yeah. Spring. So it's not as though Wes Craven is unfamiliar with sort of like world cinema at the time. Sure, um, yeah. Or so at, maybe at the he's... time, I use very loosely, or world cinema, you know, of the past couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or so maybe basically, he's what happens? Off of Miss oh. Cleo. You remember Miss Cleo? Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah. wasn't Miss Cleo after? <laughs> I really almost did the voice, and I was like, I don't know if we're allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, Miss Cleo, it's such a staple Ms. of my Cleo. childhood, though. I, me or really too. of like my childhood summers when we were just like couch potatoes and just watch TV all day. Yes, she solved life's problems. She was she in did. it. I never called so- her now, though. Oh, I didn't. I I couldn't afford it. I was really afraid to like spend eighty dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, rightfully so. But all to say, yeah. like, so Cleo from five to eight opens with a tarot reading where. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like completely derailed this. No, I'm you're sorry. fine. Also, I'm just thinking now about a mashup called Cleo nine to five, where like a tarot card reading is interrupted by like yeah, like Dolly Parton bursts or something, but. Um, <laughs> And Miss Cleo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the tarot card reading portends like doom for Cleo, and this is where mm-hmm. she has to have. She's. You find out that she's actually waiting on test results to see if she has cancer or not. Um, and so the movie is sort of roughly approximating, um, I guess, a two time speed. It's like a ninety minute film, but it's covering those three hours of her life. Yeah. Um, well, and that's interesting because Fool, the main character, right. his mother is. Um, She's suffering mm-hmm. from some type of cancer in this film and needs money for an operation, right? And that's so that's kind of like the spur to him even doing all of this shit, And it's right? such an interesting cancer in a sense, too, because it is a cancer that we learn, essentially, um, 
requires only money as a cure. Yes. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Because as soon as once we are led to believe that as soon as money is available, this woman will be cured. And I want to hold on right. to that. Like not talk about it now, but I think we should hold on to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the whole money mm-hmm. class is, yeah. race issue. Yeah. It's it's all like forefront in this film. Mm-hmm. Um. So, oh, but another thing I was going to say, Sam, about just the... So, the film opens with the older sister of the protagonist. Her name's Ruby. And she's mm-hmm. reading this character. Um, his So, the protagonist's name, his real name is Poindexter. But she has nicknamed him Fool because she's so into uh, reading these cards. And she is actually like giving him a reading as the film opens and we learn right. that it is fool's uh 13th birthday um or it's like the night before his birthday right um well, and what's interesting about that too is that like he is sort of on the cusp of like adolescence and like the earliest earliest suggestions of like adulthood and mm-hmm. then his name like this is not so subtle but like his name is poindexter right which is like a sort of like slang for a really smart person right Mm -hmm. and we find out very early on that he is someone with ambition like he wants to become a doctor and that is precisely sort of why he is attributed the name fool right that there is like right this movie opens in such a place of like um like black pessimism right about the possibility Mm -hmm. of like ever getting out of um the the sort of projects that they're in or of there ever really being like a place for like black prosperity right um, right in this world and, and so of, like we're, we're primed to really read the rest of the film as really uh like metaphorizing of this sentiment sure and part of it too is that he he like the role model that he has so it's this guy named leroy who's hanging around Ving his Rames. sister ruby um <laughs> And, like, Leroy is just terrible at, like, so at one point later in the film, Fool asks him, like, hey, Leroy, do you think I have what it takes to be a doctor? And Leroy's, like, breaking into the house that they're going to try to rob from, right? And he's like, no, but you're lucky that I'm teaching you a trade. Yeah, And so it's just, like, it's awful that this, like, I mean... You know, the female figures in his life, in Fool's life, definitely encourage this aspiration. But certainly, like, this rando guy named Leroy that he meets, like, literally the night before they decide to do this robbery is, like, all of his advice or his sayings throughout the movie are just, like, so pessimistic or just, like, not great, right? Like, so at one point he says, like, um, to he says to Fool, like, um, yeah, it sucks to be your age um, because you're too old for tit and too young for ass. I wrote you know? that down. I don't really understand what that phrase means. Oh, it means like you're too you're too old to be breastfed, so you can't have oh, boobies. Oh, that kind of tit. And I was like, yeah, years are too old for tits. Yeah, like, hmm. but you're too like, young to have sex. Yeah, I got it. So it's less about the geography of the body than about what each of those things stands for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly that was difficult for me. Um, yeah, but what's interesting too about Ving Rain's performance is that he plays it as though like he, the character Leroy, believes that 
what he is doing is kind of caring for Fool in a sense yeah. that he's giving him like necessary wisdom, even as sure, he's and- also sort of exploiting Fool, but he at least sees himself as being a better partner in crime, literally, than I forget the name of the third guy who they think is going to screw Spencer, who might screw them over. Where, like, Leroy makes clear that, like, he would not screw over Fool, that there's, like, sort of an honor that he's also, like, teaching him. Yeah, and and there's also, like, a sense that he wishes, Leroy wishes to adopt a more, like, patriarchal role in this family that he's just kind of jumped into because he's like you know we're doing this for your mother's surgery and i'm teaching you like kind of true wisdom in certain ways so it's like Leroy is actually a hard figure to read in some ways right because he also treats fool's older sister violently and then um the i mean the other thing too like to fully set the scene is so not only is fool's mother sick with cancer but they are late on their rent and they're clearly in this like very exploitative lease agreement wherein because the rent is three days late it's now tripled like that's Mm -hmm. a that's part of the contract um and not only that (laughs) yeah that's terrifying we find that um we find out too that like this is uh part of a larger tactic to drive people out of the building so that can be torn down and rebuilt into nicer buildings right and so this is also being cast against the sort of like yeah it's being cast against this larger phenomena of like 90s gentrification right right where like the urban is suddenly becoming much more attractive to white people and etc yeah exactly and so and this movie i mean if you haven't already guessed it is like heavily about race relations um as well and so I guess of we didn't course, say that our protagonist is black yes yeah and and of course the landlords are white right and they're um oh they're just disgusting characters but we'll get it we'll get into that as yeah, well don't worry um, question but is this the first black character we've seen so far in um a west craven film mm, i know yes. we've skipped a couple but i think so yeah yeah it is it is um so, yeah, and it's, like, race relations, I think, are forefront, more so than class issues in this particular film, right? Like, yeah. would you agree with that? Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So, yeah, basically, then, the plot of the movie becomes um, Leroy, Fool, and their partner, Spencer, are trying to break into the landlord's home, which is outside of the city, this sort of... Um, big house because they've heard rumors that um the landlord has gold hidden in his basement mm-hmm. yeah um, like these valuable gold coins um and it, which turns out to be true that is true which is fascinating <laughs> okay and we'll come back to that too but also okay. i have to say too like i did you end up seeing mother with the jennifer lawrence i have no i didn't it's, watch that it was terrible so i'm not oh. recommending it but so much of the movie is like the camera never leaves the home and neither does Jennifer Lawrence. And she's just constantly being like oppressed with random people who show up at her door. Mm-hmm. And it's super weird that they're just showing up and trying to like move into the home. But her husband keeps telling her it's totally normal. And so mm-hmm. it's about this weird like dissonance sort of that she's um, experiencing. <laughs> this felt like the <laughs> if the camera was set up outside of the home instead, because it's just a series of people donning disguises and trying to get inside <laughs> this home, right? Yeah. So first they make yeah. uh, full dress up as a boy sc- or a bear scout. I guess they c- can. Do you need the rights to be called a boy scout? 
I guess so. Yeah. He kept being like, no, yeah. no, Bear Scout. Bear Scout. <laughs> we are not infringing on any rights here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a, he's a Bear Scout, and so he's canvassing the property to look at, you know, locks on the doors, and he's trying to actually get inside. And so he knocks on the door, and he's like, ma'am, you know, like, I'm selling cookies for something. You know, it's all a ruse. Um, and, of course, uh the character Nadine from Twin Peaks, Wendy uh, Robbie, uh, answers, and she's like, "No, go away." She won't even let him inside to use the restroom, right? And, we find and out so, too, yeah, maybe we should just say really quickly too: the um, landlord and landlady are being played by Ever McGill and Wendy Robbie, as you said, um, Big Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks. So it's really weird to see them as a totally different married couple. Right. And they, they go by the names Mommy and Daddy in this <laughs> Yeah, that's film, also super which weird. Which is super weird. And so far um, as we know, they have a daughter who they really sort of terrorize and force mm-hmm. to live very strictly. And right. we get one weird suggestion um, that there's someone living within the walls of their home that the daughter is sympathetic to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this moment where we kind of get, so there's a lot of back and forth between extreme terror and then these, like, snapshots of this really odd family. Yeah, right. Um, and they're, they're, like, really oppressive dynamics, right? So um, one scene, for example, we get Daddy eating, like, this really raw meat, and he keeps spitting out buckshot because he's clearly shot like a deer or something, yeah. <laughs> some creature. Um and Alice, the daughter, is, you know, standing very hesitantly. Um, but there's another scene where Alice is eating alone in her room. And her mommy says, where's the fork? And there's this implication that she's really going to get it if they can't find the fork, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get this weird shot where Alice is looking on the ground for the fork. And then suddenly out of the wall, uh, this, like, very pale... Um, long fingernail hand hands her the fork and Alice like pets it. It's a great shot. Yeah. Yes, it is. And you're like, okay, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is this creature? Um, So, but those moments kind of already established there's something not quite right given the, the massive security of the house, the weird family dynamics, and then the hand. And so, I mean, and this is like a solid 30 minutes into the movie. I don't think we see... The, the like extreme creepiness until there's a lot of like setup of like what is weird about yeah. the family. So this is just the setting we have that our like protagonists are now finally encountering. Like they get to the house and are trying, as you said, to get in. And Spencer, who's able to successfully get in, and how does he get in again? He pretends to be like a gas meter guy, and he claims that he has to like check something inside the house, um, like a gas meter inside. Um, so Spencer gets in. Also, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, they kind of the because Spencer is white, he's more readily, you know, like mm. she like so mommy kind of treats him a little bit kinder and she's still suspicious of him. But uh, like the fact that she wouldn't let an African-American boy in her house, but she will let a white man is it's just like it's already setting up this weird 
weird thing going on. And he <laughs> exactly. says too, like, if I don't, if I can't come in, I will have to call like the police for assistance. Like I have to. Sure. Get in um, and it's also, I thought it was hilarious because like that is the fakest looking ID I've ever <laughs> seen when he shows her. Yeah, that's her. a Kinko's it's job. Like, this <laughs> 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 really pathetic ID. But Spencer gets on. And then mommy leaves. And so Leroy and Fool, who are waiting outside, are like, wait a minute. Why is Spencer still in the house? But the woman of the house, the landlady, Mm -hmm. has already left, you know? That's weird. So they decide to just, like, go in, right? Like, they decide, all right, you know, we were going to, like, just... We were going to proceed a little bit more cautiously, but now we're just... We're going to go in there. And part of that is that Leroy suspect spencer of getting the hall for himself right yeah so um yeah they they kind of barge in and then they meet prince (laughs) poor prince this stupid dog (laughs) stupid mean dog yeah so so he's a rottweiler yeah and they oh i'm so sorry oh go ahead no no i'm just gonna say they've they have trained this poor dog to be you know, very violent and to to feast on human body parts um, because it turns out that they kill people in this house, right? Like, of mm-hmm. course they do. And so Prince, their dog, um, is trained to seek out and to attack any intruder, right? And so he, of course, goes after Leroy when they first get in. Yeah. That was it. And, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so maybe just to like jump ahead a little bit, eventually Leroy and Fool realize they are trapped in this house, and mm-hmm. um, mommy and daddy come back, and the dog sort of alerts them to the fact that someone's in the house. Daddy gets very excited, dons a gimlet a, outfit yeah. or whatever. And what is that? Is that called a gimlet I thing? Guess so. Suit? Is it a gimlet it felt suit? Right when you said the word gimlet in this situation, <laughs> so maybe. Basically, an almost entirely um, covered Just like leather. like latex, s- black leather, yes. yeah, skin tight. Like, only his mouth is exposed, which I guess with a gimlet suit, sometimes they're not, like, because they, the thing about gimlets, from what I understand, is See, they have the to be. the thing about gimlets is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I've ever said that sentence. Yeah. Um, they have to be completely um, dependent on their master or mistress but he's like that's not what's going on here right so daddy is wearing the aggressor like it's yeah yeah so he's wearing this weird very suggestive sex like suit but it is not clear why at all because like it's really inconvenient there are several times where the police show up and knock on the door and he has to like suddenly get out of this (laughs) crazy ass suit and so yeah, what Sam, what is up with this? Like why? No idea. Why did this why does daddy have Okay, you know what? No, I'm just not even going to finish that. So that's like <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's you know it's so, so weird. And and, and that was one... part of the confusion. Yeah, no, it's really strange. And I will say the only other like suggestion of sexuality in this movie, um at least as it pertains to mommy and daddy is that Later, for reasons we'll get to, Alice's they lock Alice up in the attic, and there is a moment in which Everett McGill walks towards Alice in a way that implies that he is like going to rape her. I forget what he mm. does specifically, but he does. I forget if he like 
touches his belt as though he's going to start taking it off or something. Like, yeah. And then I... mommy like shows up in the doorway and she calls him very sternly as though like she knows what he's going to do. And yeah. so that's the only other thing I could think of that. Yeah. Well, there's also, though, um, fears of an interracial coupling because Fool and Alice are roughly in the movie the same mm-hmm. age. And there are moments where Daddy calls Alice a whore and suspects yeah, that she right. has kind of betrayed them because of attraction to Fool. So there's this, you know, weird undercurrent yeah. of, um, I mean, any form of, you know, Alice expressing uh, desire is problematic because she is supposed to. And in fact, the only reason that Alice is not kind of consigned to the cellar, like her, you know, supposed brothers, is that uh, she hears no evil, speaks no evil. Wait, what is it? Hear, see no evil. No <laughs> That's evil. another one. Yeah, yeah. Like she's totally like passive and submissive. Right. And so for the, her to, and she eventually does betray her supposed parents. Um, would put her at extreme physical danger, right? And in fact, we yeah. see her more than anyone else abused in this movie, um, especially by Daddy. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. There's this weird rapey um, sadism going on that's yeah. just ugh. It's it's gross. Well, very gross. <laughs> and I should say too, it sounds like we're just at the very beginning of the movie, and we kind of are. But all that's left to say is it turns out that mommy and daddy have the house under like control. Like they can lock down parts of the house through flips of the switch. They mm-hmm. quickly kill Leroy. And then mm-hmm. when they find the bear scout <laughs> uniform in their truck, they realize <laughs> that little boy they that came knocking on the door is also in the house. And pretty much yes. from this point on, we are watching like an extended chase scene. Um, yes. So um, Alice helps fool escape and then brings him draws him into the vent and that's where he discovers that there is a sort of world of people living between the walls and these people are all sort of like rejected adopted mm-hmm. children so they're, yes they're boys who apparently were not perfect children so they were mutilated in certain ways either with their tongues cut out or yeah, other right. things happening and they are locked in the cellar but uh, one of these boys is named Roach. He's pr- played by Sean Whalen, um, who's, like, been everywhere. I was reading about Sean Whalen earlier. He's been in, like, a ton of stuff, like, as, I know, you know, a solid, so like, I know, he so familiar to me, and I couldn't, sidekick. I was going through IMDb, and I couldn't figure out what he was in that I've seen. Oh, like, he's been in Never Been Kissed. He's been in uh, an episode of It's Always Sunny. Like, he's just everywhere. Um, okay. Anyways, but, so he plays Roach who is one of the cellar people, or boys, uh, but he has escaped. He's figured out a way to get out of the cellar, and so he lives in between the walls. Because the thing is, is this house, I don't understand its construction whatsoever, but basically mm-hmm. like it has all of these different pathways in between walls that humans and large dogs can get through, but not adults. Like It's like perfect right. for small children and dogs. Um, So so Roach lives in the walls. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. I was just going to say to that point that Alice says, one, I think, okay, I'll come back to that. But Alice says, early in the movie, he says, no, we need, uh, Fool says to her, we need to get outside. I don't want to go into the walls. And she said, sometimes you have to go inside or further in to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And one that has this very like Alice in Wonderland sort of valence where you start to think yeah. that maybe that's where her name came from. 
But I think it's that like complete um, confusion of inside and outside, like the ways in which when like Fool needs to break back into the house. So later on, Fool gets out, but he wants to come back and save Alice. We don't see him break in. The first suggestion that he made it back into the house is that after mommy and daddy leave a kitchen, he crawls out of a cupboard as though that he oh, as though outside really was inside. Right. Mm-hmm. That it looks like he's emerging from inside, but we know that he was coming from outside. Right. And then there's and another Alice is instance. afraid of the outside. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. There's another instance in which Alice is on the ground floor with them and then they go into the kitchen and she her hand reaches down from the hood of the kitchen. So somehow she's suddenly like above them, right? And mm-hmm. like spatiality is like thrown into such disarray in this film um, that feels kind of like thematic to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so there's... Um... It's also unclear if these people are just incredibly disgusting in their spaces or if it's actually presenting at least this veneer of gentility. So, like, for example, when they first break in, they're in a kitchen, I think, but it's not, I don't know if it's the actual kitchen. And there are just, like, Mm -hmm. dead bugs everywhere. But then when the cops come, uh, there's this, like, weird scene where Mommy is, like, giving them coffee and, like, classical music is playing and daddy has a pipe and it all seems very like middle upper class normal um so that's another thing that was jarring with the spaces with me was like is this like a you know are are there only like hidden secret nasty spaces like the cellar with the people under the stairs uh or is it like actually this this entire family is just gross and lives kind of barbarically but they're able to cover it up i don't know it just it threw me off because i was that also contributed Mm -hmm. to the weird Mm -hmm. uh where things are happening in the film or in the house in this film my mind part of it is um how to say so if like one of the big thematic questions that sort of anchors the movie is this one of gentrification of trying to like drive all of these like poor black um, tenants out of this out of this apartment building so it can be torn down and built out to be something that looks nicer. There's mm-hmm. a question of like, well, where do those people go? You know, like where yeah. are they forced then? Probably further into the city, right? And so right. there is too the way in which like the the topography of the house is sort of mimicking like anxiety is about like the possibility of ever like fully whitening the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right? That like they're playing out mommy and daddy's sort of fears, right? And how that house works, right? That mm-hmm. there's there's really no getting rid of everyone they want to get rid of. Um, yeah. And in fact, that, mommy like, sort says of, to like, the cops. Making the city like this perfect extension of their own home is impossible because their own home, you know, isn't actually like something they have full control over. Yeah, and Mommy even says, so at one point the cops show up just to investigate the van. And Mm -hmm. she's like, no, 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 you don't need to go inside. Um, We've checked everywhere. And they were like, yeah, well, sorry about this. Be careful. And she's like, it's almost as if we're the prisoners. And the prisoners are free. Like, she's, like, further denigrating or further expressing desire even for a very clear demarcation that cannot exist, right? So they obviously mm-hmm. live in this, like, hyper, really fucked up fantasy world. Uh, and their house, they attempt to create this perfect, beautiful family, obedient, you know, like, kind of nuclear family. 
but it's all fucked up because they have the completely wrong, I mean, approach, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. But also, you know, just like they're they're actually crazy. And we learn later. Uh, can I give away like the big spoiler um, about who they are? Is that sure. cool? Yeah, yeah, so we learn later that mommy and daddy are not actually a couple, but in fact brother and sister. And they come mm-hmm. from this very inbred, very problematic family that was has been there forever, used to run a funeral home, then got into real estate and just keeps on encroaching on, um, you know, the, the, local, the local neighborhood, right? Well, and, and they, incest- they are highly greedy. And incest is, of course, the sort of natural metaphor of racial purity, right? Because mm-hmm. if you can't yeah. ever mix blood, you can only mix within your own, right? And so it is sort of, an, <laughs> again, just another way of sort of like underlying the sort of antagonizing um, a certain like ideological position. I mean, I guess just like racism, even however, yeah. you, but you're right, like however subtle or like discursively justified it is about, right? Like, so you already made a, you already like sort of alluded to the way in which I remember this from my childhood, right? The way in which racism was just sort of refashioned into a concern for one's safety, right? Mm-hmm. Or things like that. And that they're exposed as actually just this sad, decrepit, inbred sort of couple at the end of the day. Yeah. Seems right. And, and but oh, I'm sorry, one thing I found probably well, I was just going to say one thing that I kind of hated about this movie mm-hmm. was that it takes revealing to Alice that they're not her real parents for her to finally be like, okay, I have to escape. Like, right. so she's been yeah. so beat down. Um, she's been so terrorized by these people that, you know, that final thread is still believing that there's some sort of blood relationship, right? Yeah. Um, and once that is cut, once that belief is dispelled, then she can be like, okay, I've got to get out of here, right? Um, yeah. And I but, think along I those know. lines, another like really odd thing that I thought, so yeah, I think that's a really great point about like the way in which the film still sort of reserves the validity of like the blood relation. Which is mm-hmm. so funny since Hills Have Eyes was originally called Blood Relations. And it was, it's still, it's very <laughs> much about family bonds, right? In that way. Yeah. But um, there's a moment where, this is right before Fool finally escapes. They're in the attic and he gets, he crawls out the window and he says, you can see the lights of the ghetto from here. And then he says, smog never smelled so good. And mm-hmm. at that point, I sort of thought like, well, what is like the arc here? You know what I mean? Like, because is the message like, well, I guess like, the projects weren't that bad after all or something because like mm. no <laughs> yeah you know like it feels like it, the movie's then like setting up this false dichotomy that's uh, strange right yeah i don't know like that's part of my confusion sam with this film is mm-hmm. like what is the what is our takeaway here is it that like greediness and imprisoning capturing and imprisoning children will be punished or that (laughs) like these racial tensions can be alleviated through kind of a dissemination of money i don't know like it's i don't know what the film is (laughs) because that's how yeah through dancing dancing. (laughs) yeah so okay we can Uh, jump ahead a little bit and just say like so basically fool's sister comes to follow up I can't remember. I guess like Fool tells her. I don't really. We don't really know. Exactly yeah, he's, what happened. he says but he he's like going fills back. around on a plan. Yeah, but she ends up bringing most of their neighbors, and they all stand mm-hmm. on the lawn. And at one point, Nadine 
<laughs> I keep saying they Dean. She is on the Mommy. cusp of calling them. She said, yeah. oh, they, talk, they refer to themselves as a community that won't back down. She says, there's no community here. All I see are a couple of. And then she starts to pronounce like the letter N. <laughs> and it's very clear yeah. what she's going to say. Uh, right. The movie is like not subtle at all about these cues. Um, they are eventually both her and daddy, Ever McGill, are sort of defeated ultimately. But the way in which they're defeated is that Fool goes to the basement finds the stock of cash right just like stacks of cash and all the gold he also finds explosives and he finally mm-hmm. just says if you come if you come towards the money i'm going to light this dynamite and explode it all and evermill can't resist he has to go towards it and then it explodes evermill's killed the money goes everywhere um, the gold it goes, goes up everywhere. through the chimney it's just kind of beautiful mm-hmm. right it yeah it goes up through the um what used to be like the um chimney for when they would burn bodies because uh, it's a funeral home yeah right or a defunct funeral home and so it goes it explodes the money then falls upon the community right who's come there to protest against this these awful people um and so yeah there's this like money grabbing moment where like everyone's just like dancing and grabbing money and celebrating right i will say too like to your point like i wrote this i said like this is the explosion's glorious like it's actually one of the best explosions i've seen in a film (laughs) right where it's not like not like because it's not like an action film explosion which are like Mm -hmm. so over the top but there's just something like it feels very like a real explosion and it feels sort of it's still like low budget enough that you can tell this is people like just trying to figure out how to blow up a house. I don't know. It's, I was sort but, of obsessed so, with it. Yeah. And but also the, the, the this moment. Sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering here. Uh, the people under the stairs. Right. The, the people who have been uh, trapped under here uh, and have been uh, fed only human body parts, right? Mm-hmm. They are free to go and they like happily intermingle with the community members. And it's like the weirdest thing because I don't yeah. know, like I can't imagine realistically this transition working out very well. <laughs> like, well I don't so this know. becomes the question then, right? Where I feel like this is clearly a very imaginative movie to me. But it also feels mm-hmm. like the end feels like a sort of like the hard limit of Wes Craven's imagination. Like imagination can tell a great story, but it cannot sustain any sort of vision of real change and race relations or infrastructure. Yeah. Right. Because. Yeah. Great. They have them. They get the money and then they dance and party. But the film does not attempt any coda that could suggest like what real change this is going to bring about. And in fact, mm-hmm. the only change that we uh, learn about is a change is incredibly local to fool's family that mm-hmm. he takes some of the gold coins um, when he escapes the first time gives them to the landlord the landlord says they're covered forever <laughs> and they yeah. have enough money well to, not the landlord uh, dis- actually, or not the landlord you um the it's like a neighbor who helped i don't know who that is who is explaining to them their grandpa. lease in the beginning yeah it's his grandpa really? yeah oh, okay and i was like well, he gives actually his grandfather. so <laughs> But also, I was like, where the fuck were you, Grandpa, when, like, <laughs> the beginning of this movie when your grandson is being lured into a life of crime? Oh, yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> he stepped come out. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, we find out that the now, like, 
oh, this is it, where we come back, that we find out that all it took, you know, now that they have money, they can just de facto cure his mother's cancer. Um, right. Which I find so, like, so, ugh. I, well, it's, it's, odd, it's just though. a lame-ass so, no... plot structure, I think. Like, I think it's just, like, a it's a weird way to even kind of spurn Fool's entry into this house. And, like, I don't know. I think that could have been more well, nuanced in the way that, like, he's motivated to, um, you know, even, like, I don't know, try to get money, I guess. Like, it just it feels very surface level to me. Well, no? I think what's interesting <laughs> about it is that it puts... Oh, I said well. <laughs> well, what I oh, think okay. is interesting about it. <laughs> I, no. I wish you would have just <laughs> been like, no, no. <laughs> no, but what's interesting, though, is that it's... Um, in, in in that setup in which like money can cure cancer, it gives such an importance to money as the thing that can be transformative. And yet once the money is present, the film can't imagine transformation. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. They can't dream up any transformation. And that's so interesting to me. And so at the end, when um, they ask Fool how he feels, he says, I feel like a million dollars. And I mm-hmm. thought like, okay, like, that is a line that's like cheeky and punny and it's enough to give us the sense that like there's resolution and a happy ending so that we can end this film. But what does it really mean to feel like a million dollars in this film's world in which mm. money mm-hmm. is um, sort of it violently changes hands. It's blown up. It's transacted. It's jettisoned. Right. Like what does it really mean to feel like a million dollars? Especially, yeah, we've seen a million dollars just explode. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> literally. To, to say you feel like a million dollars means to feel like you're something that's been taken from people, that's been kept hidden in a basement, that's been sort of abused, that's been hoarded, that's been stolen, right? It's actually right. just a real compendium of just like negative associations. Um, yeah. That in, in, a, in a sense, like even as the film is, is stating the line that's going to allow it to have a happy ending, it's actually like smuggling into that um, uh, an incredibly just dreary and despairing sentiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you're so right. Like there's no, uh, like a part of my confusion about this film or ambivalence, I guess, is is the lack of a coda and this like really dark message about like hoarding and then, yeah, like, so I don't think the fool... I, like, don't get the sense that, like, Fool and Alice are now going to, like, live this kind of normalized existence where both go off Mm -hmm. and, you know, go to school and he becomes a doctor and she's, like, a nurse or a teacher. I don't, like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm just, like, too pessimistic for that. But I think the the film (laughs) supports that reading because of this, like, what you were saying with this whole really kind of just deflating sense of, of what money can and can't do, I guess. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, this movie just, like, I know you loved it, Sam. I'm just overall kind of like, why? (laughs) Well, I just loved it because it was so knotted. You know what I mean? Like, there was just, like, so much that the film was trying to do and so much it did. It was, and so much, there were so many ways in which the film was undercutting itself and doing things that maybe, like, it wasn't even aware it was doing that I was just fascinated by it. But, like, do you, so I I opened with this kind of question about, like, the... (laughs) To return to my opening question. To return to, yes, in case you forgot. Um, (laughs) But, no, seriously, the, like, I, the, the film seems, while we were talking about, like, all of these really deep issues, it also seems 
really silly to me. It seems yeah. very, so there's like, you know, the dog sliding out of the, the grate and he's, you know, just sliding and it's kind of funny. And there's moments where like daddy gets hit in the crotch and, you know, yeah, like, right. like <laughs> kind of things. I don't know. Like yeah. there's a lot of it's silly, like weird. home alone-esque moments built yeah, into that's horrific cannibalism. Yeah. Well, and, and also, so it's just why... also, like, a far less gory film, right? Like, it's yeah. violent, but so much of it's suggested, whereas, like, in Nightmare on Elm Street or any of his earlier movies, like, Hills Have Eyes, or his later movies, like, Scream, like, they're far more, like, gory. And a lot yeah, of... Yeah, and really even spared. the gory Like, moments. this felt like a film that, in a lot of ways, could have almost been a kid's movie. Yeah! Like, had a few changes like, been made. there's this moment where Roach... Where Roach, like, so the people under the stairs are about to attack Fool before they've, like, this is before they've been reconciled, I guess, right? And they go outside. Mm -hmm. But before that, uh, they're about to attack Fool and Roach holds up a corpse that's, like, really bloodied and pretty nasty looking. It's like a bloodied ribcage almost. And he holds this up and kind of, like, waves it at the people under the stairs. And that then allows for Fool to escape. But, like, right, like, as he's holding this up, he's also laughing. And it's, like, this moment of extreme farce where it's, like, ha-ha, look, I can take, you know, this very mutilated corpse and just make it, like, a little, you know, kind of, like, um distracting little object i i don't know how to say this right like it's just yeah no i know you distracting thing but it's it's a corpse it's so even these like moments of horror i think are undercut either by like wes craven making this kind of a silly film or me reading it inappropriately you know 26 years later as a humorous film you know (laughs) like that's why I have a problem with it yeah, because I don't know, I don't know a, yeah, no, and that's great. how to read it. Yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to take it seriously or not. And I mean, this is a question that I'm confronted with in my research all the time because I research weird stuff from 400 years ago and I'm always trying to take it seriously. So a film that challenges me to take it seriously, I'm I'm very bothered by, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so this is personal um so forgive me for that no not at all um <laughs> i think i think that's yeah i think in one sense like we can just make as best sense of it as we can now but you're right like there is also like the much more difficult work of trying to understand what it would feel like to like receive this in 1991 mm-hmm. right like when we were Ugh. four and we were in that same theater i mean i remember this moment where you and i both looked at each other and like we i know. got it you know, and I no longer have that. No longer have that moment, mm-hmm. that lived-in experiential oomph. You know, got I got nothing. Although I, I have to say, I got a weird sort of not not flashback, but um, <laughs> the way in which like they satirized like the sort of like middle class fear of sugar, where like oh. they eat healthy, and then she's like. She throws out the cookies as soon as the cop leaves. And then she goes, mm-hmm. I don't want to see another cop or cookie again in my life. I don't know which one makes me <laughs> sicker. I actually like feel like I have vague memories of just that sort of panic around sugar. You know? When, what? Not necessarily in my no. immediate family or just like on TV and in some of my friends' families. The way in which like sugar was treated as this thing to fear or something. Like I just got a vague memory, a recollection of that. 
I yeah, I did not have I mean, that. We at know all. both of our childhood just <laughs> deep loves of sugar. So, oh, and the only yeah, other thing I was gonna bring up from this, yeah, is that this is yet another Wes Craven film in which um, uh, electronics and technology is used to deceive people. That voices are once again oh, stolen. We have technological mimicry again, where. Fool yeah. thinks he's sneaking up on mommy and daddy because he hears them saying their prayers. And then he sneaks up and he turns the corner and looks into the room. And it's actually just a tape recorder playing on their Yeah. Phone. And they have like um, a weird speaker system in their house, too, where like they can, you know, like mommy gets on the speaker and she's like, the cops are here again. Daddy, yeah, get out of your right. get out of your gimlet suit. <laughs> hey, and- <laughs> hey, get down here hey. and flash. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, See? damn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I don't have a conclusion for this film except to say I no. feel weird about it. But you the film love didn't it. have a conclusion, so why it should didn't... we? Yeah, we don't, Katie, we don't need one. let's just dance. Let's just, I mean, <laughs> I, will, I will happily dance with creepy cannibals in the street and you know grab some money while we're mm-hmm. at it it's all good yeah dancing dancing fixes I really everything did that's try what to, i was that one cannibal well he wasn't really a cannibal but that one guy who lived in the basement that they like really paid attention to when he emerged and went into the crowd like i really mm-hmm. had hopes for him i want to see him reacclimate and just live a satisfied life can i say something incredibly seems... weird yeah <laughs> He was a kind of attractive. Always. Like, it was kind of like the long hair, the like, the and 90s. And the long nails and the really pale skin. <laughs> I was like, okay, with a makeover, this dude could fly. Like, this dude could, you know, pass for a, a very pale, uh, Fabio-esque kind of fellow, you know. It's just like, a, a yeah, if Fabio were in powder... <laughs> exactly. You can summon storms. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's well, all that, I want. I, I appreciate you saying that because I feel reassured now that he went on to live a really. Um, he did. He got. He got makeovers. Yeah. Good life. And he, he's. You know. He's an Maybe a modeling gig. Now. Who knows? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Listen, I mean, you don't. You don't need so to lucky. talk for for that. So. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so Sam, now that we've talked we... about a movie that you loved, or you you appreciated deeply, loved. I guess, loved. <laughs> Why don't you, you marry it? What are you obsessed with though this week beyond well, this movie? I'm tempted to say this movie because I'm thinking yeah. <laughs> a lot about this movie this week. Um, I have a feeling that we might have the same obsession, but oh. um, Lady Dynamite is back, and it's so good oh. and so funny. And no, so that weird is not this season in a way that's fun. I mean, I love that show, but I have not started watching this season, and so that is not my obsession this mm-hmm. this time around. Right. But yeah, that's that's great. That's that's that's. Uh, I just forgot how to use words. It's good. <laughs> that's, uh, um, that's, uh, something. <laughs> something. So there. all to say, so, <laughs> uh, so glad it's back she's maria bamford's amazing so funny every time she does that one voice i just can't stop laughing yeah that's awesome okay. do you know the voice the the sort of like corporate 90s businesswoman voice yeah no i can't reproduce it's it though. so funny like... no <laughs> <laughs> okay um what about you all right 
Yeah, I was about to say, okay, what I am obsessed with. I was doing a weird... <laughs> I was taking charge, and I don't know why. I, you know, Listen, weird headspace. Yeah. But I... So, Sam, I got an, another new video game, so I'm just going to have to, like, say, again... I'm obsessed with a video game, so, like, completely uninteresting mm-hmm. um, Let's hear it. as a person. It's Assassin's Creed Origins. Have you heard about this, Sam? Takes place in ancient Egypt. And so what they did, the Assassin's Creed franchise, right, uh, was putting out a new oh, game every Origins? year. Oh, is Origins? Is that what you said? Yeah, Origins. Mm-hmm. Sorry. They're putting out a game every year, though, and people were getting mad because it started to feel very... Um, unoriginal, very kind of um, just like, you know, oh, here's another game that does the same right. exact stuff, but it's in a like different minor setting. aesthetic changes or, yeah. Yeah. So they took a year off and they spent two years on this one and they completely changed the fighting style and they put thought, like serious thought into the story and dude, it is so good. It is amazing. So it's set in ancient Egypt. I've heard amazing reviews of it. Yes, you hang out with like Cleopatra, with Caesar, what? but you're also Mark yeah, but you're also yeah. He, I think well, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Maybe okay, time will, I hope time will so. tell. Yes, but but you're also this amazing character that has a lot of depth to him, and I don't know. It's just like it's hitting the it's hitting the spot, dude. It's hitting the like gaming like need that I have. So. Yeah, it's good. I'm obsessed with it, definitely. Played for, like, six hours yesterday. (laughs) Do you know, this is um, just, like, sort of tangentially related. Did you know that, like, there's a whole... So I read these Google um, reports that just talk about, like, you know, as marketing... Like, as I'm working in marketing right now, and you have to have a good sense of, like, how people use the internet and how people use um, different sites, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. There are large contingents of people who use YouTube just to watch videos of other people's gameplay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I've, I've um, watched, looked up gameplay to see, like, oh, could I be interested in this video game? And watched a few minutes to get a sense. But apparently, like, we're talking large communities who will sit and watch, like, long, long videos. Just watching, mm-hmm. like, as though they're watching a movie. Yeah, yeah. That does not That's surprise me at me. all. Really? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me because it's so easy now to record yourself playing i mean you just hit like a an option under settings to say like record five hours of me doing this thing right Whoa. yeah that like is it's not... still not easy to make someone want to watch that <laughs> in my yeah, mind that's true i mean i don't get the appeal of that unless you are looking to like see how somebody else like beat a certain mission and you're confused or something mm, i mean i do that sometimes where it. i'm like you know, I look up like gamebusterdude.com, guy, man, <laughs> boy. You should start um, releasing but... your own videos and just see if they take off. <laughs> you know, it is interesting because like the the how-to videos are just like it's a mansplaining paradise, right? I've never come across a female <laughs> saying like, "Here's how you beat this mission." I should I should do that. I should get on that. I'd be great at it. I'd be like, oh, and then I fell off the cliff. You should use that as like <laughs> a feminist platform and be like, listen yeah. up, everyone, a woman's talking, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, really video game like, yeah. mansplainers. It's time for Listen, we're the living in a take. post-Gamergate world. <laughs> yes. So get on this and train I'm... or get off. <laughs> 
Except I'm not actually very good, so it would be really embarrassing. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, oh sorry guys, here's, I didn't see that crocodile. Yeah. Like I'm let's, I'm, uh, I'm the trailblazer. Let's, uh, ignore that. I'm I'm the trailblazer. I'm I didn't say I was like the pro, right? So <laughs> It's okay, more of a political well, project than real guidance. So. Yeah, exactly. It's like everything I do. Um, <laughs> so Sam, what is what is up for next week? What are we doing? What's what are we talking about next with week, our with oh, our Cravy Cravens? Goodness. Katie, are you in for a treat? We are doing <laughs> Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So last yes! week we did the first Wes Craven film. Now we're jumping all the way to the end of the franchise, which actually is so funny to me because it's just occurring to me now that that franchise is only alive for 10 years. And it feels like in my mind, if I had not done that math, I would have thought that those Freddy movies lasted for like 20 years. Yeah, that is really surprising to me. But the reason we're jumping is because Wes Craven didn't direct any of the other ones. So I haven't seen this particular one, but from what I've heard, it's like, highly highly meta right so it's like yeah craven like just kind of satirizing everything that he's done it should be awesome i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast as you yeah. should yeah it's like a warm-up to scream right like he really like those meta the sort of meta framework of of scream that sort of explodes in the 90s like gets its start here yeah okay mm-hmm. cool all righty well, well Billy Zane, if you're under the, the stairs season, <laughs> Still haven't seen him. I bet he is under the stairs. I bet Billy Zane Someone's was one stairs. of the uncredited people under the stairs. He, he really needed work. <laughs> and we know Wes Craven was watching Twin Peaks at the time. So I'm just saying. Could be a Billy Zane. Or what if Billy darker? Zane was the Billy Zane was the attractive person under the stairs? And this whole time <laughs> I was gonna make that joke. That's why you were drawn to him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or All right. what if right now Billy Zane is breaking into someone's home and hopes they have gold hidden in their basement? <laughs> That's actually more likely. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Listen, I know it's been tough times for him, so but yeah. I just think that could be a, a strong possibility. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna make that movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna create this the script for that that seems like a really great <laughs> Please <do>. adaptation <laughs> and with that we uh we, we're signing off we're saying adieu goodbye goodbye